also want to thank Mark for leading us to worship, and also this morning, uh, uh, Brother David, uh, he does a good job in the early service, so we appreciate all those that help us to uh, uh, approach God's throne. Uh, we're here to worship, amen? I believe the song says, brethren, we have met to worship, and so it's good to see each of you here this morning, and I want to thank Brother Chuck and others that invited me to come down and be with you, so it's good to be, be back with you again today. I was thinking about the last time I was with you, I told you if the Lord uh, allowed me to preach again, I might uh, preach on the, the great commandment the next time that I came, and God's continued to sort of put that on my heart, and uh, I guess based on the, the, the shape and situation that our country's in these days, not just our country, but the world itself, uh, I got to thinking about lately, and have been for a long time, and you probably have as well, uh, what do we be, need to be busy about doing? What do we need to be busy about doing? Now, I know that the old devil is the prince of this world, and he'll keep us occupied with a lot of things, but remember, the devil is the prince of lies, if you will, the father of lies, I believe it says, in the scripture, and he will do those things that keep you occupied doing busy work and a lot of things that are not necessarily the best things that you need to be doing. Uh, some, sometimes they're important things, but not the necessary or the most important thing. And so I thought about, you know, maybe what to preach, and, and so I, I felt led to preach about what Jesus said is the greatest command, and we'll be doing that in just a moment. I've entitled the message, as you see on the screen there, the bottom line, the bottom line. Uh, I was in business for a number of years. I think I may have mentioned it last time I was here. Before the Lord called me into the ministry, I was in the jewelry store management business. Our company had about 60 stores across the state and a few in Mississippi, Tennessee, and Georgia, but 60 in all, and I was with them for about 18 years, and uh, uh, every month we would get a, a profit and loss statement, and I realized uh, quickly on as a manager, a store manager, first a C store, then a B, and then finally for 14 years of an A store, one of the largest that they had, that, that the, the profit and loss statement was one of your most, uh, I guess you'd say, worthy tools to see how you were doing in business. And you know, it had a lot of lines on that profit and loss statement. Uh, it began at, with assets, you know, and liabilities, and, and, it, and it had uh, income and expenses. Had a gross profit line down close to the bottom, but then it had some other expenses. And then finally, right at the very bottom, the bottom line itself was the net profit. And it didn't take you long if you was in jewelry store management to know that you had to make profit on that net profit line. Otherwise, you couldn't keep the doors open. You couldn't stay in business. And I thought about First Baptist Biola Battery. And I know that uh, seafood industry is big here. A lot of people in the, in the seafood industry, the shrimp business, the boating business, uh, shipbuilding business. But I know that all these businesses that thrive have to have a, a good net profit. You have to watch the bottom line. Unlike, it seems, our government, we can't stay in business unless we make a profit. Seems like the government's the only thing that can continue to go in the red and red and just somehow keep on going, uh, although we know that some foreign countries now hold our collateral, I believe, and so that being the case, that's a little frightening in and of itself. But the bottom line is so very important in business. And then I noticed a few people that come in earlier had on some Alabama uh, insignia and ladies with some Alabama purses and things like that. Well, I wore my Alabama tie today because I realized school's about to start. That means college football this fall, amen? Uh, I know there might be a few. Do you have any Alabama fans here? I think there's a few. I see a few hands. I hate to ask, do you have any Auburn fans here? We probably, yep, we got some Auburn fans. 
That's our cross to bear, right? We'll pray for them. That's our cross to bear. That's it. Might be a few uh, Ole Miss or Mississippi State fans or different uh, colleges that you favor, but college football is just around the corner. And I got to thinking, you know, what's the bottom line of college football? Isn't it that trophy at the end of the year, that BCS trophy? I think at the end of the year, the, the college national championship trophy is the bottom line. And I know that our coach, Nick Saban, and I know that all the other coaches, when they start spring training and summer training and weight uh, uh, distribution, and, and, and then when they get back together to get ready for the fall games, they have one goal in mind, and that's holding that trophy for the national title at the end of the year. Alabama was, and Auburn was favored to hold it, I think, four years in a row, the two schools. So uh, Alabama was quite well represented. I think Alabama had three, and Auburn had one in a four-year span. Last couple of years, we seem like we can't win the Sugar Bowl for some reason. But anyway, uh, we, we've got to work on that. I told somebody that's contact Coach Saban and don't take the Sugar Bowl. And they said, no, we don't want to go. We want to go somewhere else because <laughs> I think we've lost the last two Sugar Bowls. But at any rate, uh, the idea of the bottom line of a, of a college football program is to hold that national title, you know, and, and to ha hold that trophy. And uh, we've been blessed to do that a number of times. Uh, in Alabama. But if you like college football, that's your bottom line. You want to win the big one. Uh, and then I thought about, well, what's the bottom line of the Bible? What's the bottom line of the Bible? And that's really where we're at today. I want you to open your Bible, if you will, to Matthew chapter 22. The Gospel according to Matthew chapter 22. And the reason I want us to look there is the fact that and we know the Bible is very, very important. Uh, it's two books in one. It's the Old Testament. It's the New Testament. But also, it has 66 books that it contains. But out of all this, Jesus was asked a question in the text today. And his reply to that question we're going to look at in depth this morning. Because to me, every word in here is very, very important. But Jesus was pinned down. He was, he was asked, what is the great command? And this is what he said. Look with me, if you will, Matthew chapter 22 beginning with verse 35. Scripture says, And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and foremost command. The second is like it. You shall love the Lord your God. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And on these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. Basically, he said, love the Lord, love your neighbor. He says, on these two commands, hold, uh, hold the whole law and all that the prophets have said. Because everything in the Old Testament and the New Testament is summed up in those sayings. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, this morning we do thank you for your word and how your word is so very clear. Lord, we realize that your whole word is very important. But Lord, when you were asked that question, what's the bottom line? What is the great commandment in the law? You said to love God with your total being and to love others as you love yourself. Lord, I'm inclined to believe that because of that, everything else in your word sort of exudes out from those verses. And because of that, we praise you and we thank you. We ask, Lord, that you, through your Holy Spirit, might just open our hearts and minds this morning in such a way that we might get our heads around these verses and apply them to our hearts so that when we leave this place, application can be made in our lives. 
from your word. And as you do, we'll be careful to praise you and to thank you for it because we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you will here, notice that first verse in 35. 35 says, one of them a lawyer. Some of your Bibles may say scribes. I'm reading out of the New American Standard Version. Uh, if you'll recall, the scribes were the ones that recorded the law and, and, and helped to look after the law. And, and when you think about the law, you know, one of them might have just been wondering. This guy and maybe some of the others, of course, we know that the religious leaders of that day were not always pro-Jesus, if you will. A lot of times they were trying to actually trip him up with some trick questions or things of that nature because their whole uh, power structure was threatened by Jesus. And so they were inclined to ask him questions at different points throughout the New Testament, not always uh, to make him look good, but to see if they could find a, a crack in the armor to make him look bad uh, because they saw their way of life threatened. But anyway, this particular lawyer asked him this question, and he may have thought that he would have... Uh, answered one of the Ten Commandments. Now, as you know, when Moses went up on the mountain, God gave him the Ten Commandments. So let's just go down through those for a moment. Think about these. The first one, is, of course, you find it in Deuteronomy and other places, but to love the Lord your God. The second is no uh, false idols. The third one is uh, not to take the name of the Lord in vain. And of course, I'm paraphrasing here. The fourth one is to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. The fifth one is to honor your father and mother that your days may be long on the earth. The sixth one is no murder, don't kill. The next one is no adultery. And the eighth one is no lying. The ninth one is no, eighth one is no stealing. The ninth one is no lying. And then the tenth one is do not covet anything that belongs to your neighbor. Don't covet what your neighbor has. Don't covet your neighbor's wife or anything of that nature. So that's the big ten commandments. And the lawyer may have just been expecting him to, to just mention uh, one of those in particular. Well, he sort of did, the way he answered the very first one. But, you know, Jesus always gave people more than they asked for. If people had a need, Jesus never failed to meet a need. If people ask a question, sometimes he'd answer it with a question, but he'd always answer. Just like when you pray and I pray, God always answers. Sometimes it's not what we want to hear. Sometimes it's no. Uh, and sometimes if we don't hear anything, it's wait. But God always answers. So Jesus was asked this question, and so as a result, he went ahead and gave the answer. Notice in verse 37 what he said. He said, and he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Now let's stop there just for a moment and camp out just a little bit. As I was studying at seminary, we were studying the languages. We studied the Hebrew and the Greek. And of course, the New Testament is uh, from the original manuscripts is in Greek. And if you look at the words here, uh, love, and of course we know love is not just uh, a characteristic of God. Love is really who God is. God is love, and we know that uh, very well. Well, he says here, you shall love. Now this word love in the Greek is from the Greek verb agapio, which we get the noun in English agape. And, and, of course, we know that agape is a godly kind of love. And that's basically the word that was used here. You shall agapio, you shall love. And, of course, uh, it's also an action verb. It's something that you don't just think about. It's something you actually do. It's something you practice. It's something that you do. It said, you shall love. And when you think about that word uh, agape, 
That is the Greek word for love. There's two other Greek words. A second one uh, is phileo, and, and we know that to be brotherly love. In fact, we've got a city named Philadelphia, and it's called the city of brotherly love. That comes from the Greek as well. So agape, phileo, and there's one other one in the Greek that's uh, uh, called for love, and that's eros, which is what we get the modern English term erotic from, and that doesn't appear in the Bible at all anywhere. So it had to be one of these two, agape or phileo. And in this case, it was uh, agape love. It's a godly. You shall love with a godly kind of love. In other words, love God the way he loves you. That's what Jesus is saying in this particular verse. You shall love with that kind of love the Lord. And notice the word Lord. You'll notice that it's, uh, it's all capitals, even though they're lowercase capitals. And that word Lord there is significant for several reasons. First of all, let me just remind you that in the, in the Greek text, uh, there's, uh, there's words for Lord too with a, a, a capital L but lowercase. And you know, Lord of the Philistines, Lord of some of these other nations and what have you. So the word Lord appeared in a lot of different places. But when it appears in all capitals, anywhere in your King James, New American Standard, whatever Bible you have, when it appears in all lowercase capitals like that, that means Yahweh. That means, uh, as he told Moses, I am that I am. In other words, Yahweh, Jehovah God is who we're talking about here. The God of gods, the Lord of lords is who we're speaking of. And so when Jesus was communicating this, probably in Aramaic at the time, that's what he was saying. He said, you shall love the Lord. And that love is an agape, a godly kind of love, the Lord, not just Lord, but the Lord, the one and only. Uh, Jesus, the one and only, is, uh, came to be, because we know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. So it says, you shall love the Lord, your God, with all your heart. Now let's stop there for a minute. Your God. What you've got to understand there is Jesus was saying to you, uh, to the ones that was uh, hearing him, you have to make it personal. In other words, uh, he is God. He is Lord whether he's your God or your Lord or not. One day, the Bible says, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that he is king of kings and he is Lord of lords. But there's a sad note to that scripture. If you do some real studying, you're going to realize that every knee is going to bow, which means that whether he's their Lord or not. And then they're going to hear him complete the statement, depart from me, I never knew you. Even though people will recognize him for who he is at one point in history, but it may be too late for some of those at that time. But what Jesus is saying here is that you, that you recognize him, that you love the Lord, but he's got to be your God. You got, it's a personal relationship that we have to uh, enter into with God. Because you see, in one sense, God is God of all. But he only remains God and Lord to those that trust him and believe in him. And so God has to become personal to us. And so in this case, he's saying, you shall love the Lord your God. He's got to be your God. And then he says, how do you love him? With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Now, that's, a, that's, that's an active verb, like I say, that word love there. Uh, it's, it's not something that uh, you enter into lightly. I've counseled a lot of children before that have come to know the Lord, and and my most significant question to them is when they pray the prayer asking Jesus to come into their heart, when, I get, when we get through, I said, now, did you ask the Lord that, not just with your head or with your lips, did you mean it in your heart? Did you mean it with everything that you are? Because if you don't love the Lord that kind of way, you can know about God, 
but maybe not know God. Does that make sense? You can know about God and not know God. I knew about God when I was a little boy in Mississippi. I, I, you know, I could look up and I knew that someone had to make everything. I, you know, I didn't, didn't understand it. At that time, I didn't know God. I didn't know God through Jesus at that time. But whenever I accepted and received Jesus into my heart, then I knew God. It wasn't just with my head, but it was with my heart. So what we have to do is we have to know God. We have to enter into that personal relationship with Him. And we have to love Him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind. Basically, with everything we are. Uh, we're not talking about playing church. We're not talking about playing Christianity. We're talking about living Christianity is what we're talking about today. And we need God in that kind of way. If we don't have God in that kind of way, do we really have Him at all? Our preacher was preaching last Sunday morning at Woodridge, and he was talking about, uh, you know, salvation. And a lot of times, you know, we talk about Jesus is our Savior and Lord. Well, really, if He's your Savior, He better be your Lord, because if He's not your Lord, is He really your Savior? You understand what I'm saying now? In other words, we got to get real with ourselves and with God, because if He's our Savior... He deserves to be our master and our Lord, the boss of our lives. And if we don't let him be the master of our lives and the boss of our lives, we better go back and check number one and make sure that we really got saved. Because any less, we're just playing Christianity. We're just playing church. And so we need to be serious and careful about that. So it said, you shall love the Lord your God. How? With every fiber of your being, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And he says, this is the great and foremost command. That's the big one. That's what the lawyer asked him. But he didn't stop there, did he? He didn't stop there. He went on a little further. He said, the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend the whole law and the prophets. And it's sort of like you can't really separate the two, is it? I mean, you love the Lord, and if you love the Lord... Hey, you got to love your neighbor. There's another place in Scripture that says, how can you love God that you haven't seen if you don't love your neighbor and brother that you have seen? It's supposed to go hand in hand. When we get it right, it's supposed to go hand in hand. And so he was saying here, the second is like it, you shall love your neighbor as you love yourself. Well, who is your neighbor? I, I, you know, I, I think we have to get things in priority. I think God comes first. That's why it was the first and foremost command. And then I think your neighbor is others. Now, really, I believe it begins with those closest to us. Wives, husbands, children, grandchildren. I think it begins with family. And let me hasten to say this. As much as God loved the church, he created the family first and the church was later. But remember how much he loved the church, too. He died for the church. He's coming back for the church. The church is the bride of Christ. And so, but, but remember how much he loved family because he created family first. So I think it's God. That's our priority. Then I think it's our immediate family and then maybe our extended family and then all others. And, and remember, when it says neighbor, that doesn't necessarily just mean somebody next door. Although it does mean somebody next door. It could be next door neighbors. But also it could be those closest to us and others that you maybe haven't even met yet, but you meet today, or you meet them Tuesday or Thursday. And maybe it's even somebody in need. If I had time, I'd look over to Luke 10, and we'd talk about uh, 
uh, the Good Samaritan. You know, who was a neighbor to that guy? It, was the, not the, it wasn't the priest, it wasn't the Levite, you know. It, it wasn't just a passerby, it was the Samaritan that actually took it. He, began, he became a good neighbor to him because he saw a need and met a need. So your neighbor might be somebody you haven't met. Maybe you'll meet them this week. Somebody that God puts in your path to be good to. That might be your neighbor. The idea is others. In other words, you love the Lord, you love your family, but then also you need to love others. And it goes on to say, as you love yourself. Now, let's be honest. We love ourselves pretty good, don't we? I mean, just be honest. I have to admit, I've got a little bit of a selfish streak in me. I know you wouldn't believe that. Don't talk to my wife. She might confirm it too quickly. But we have a tendency to really care about number one, don't we? In our society today, we really care about number one. But that's not the way the Bible talks. That's not the way Jesus answered the question. He said, love the Lord first and foremost, and then love your neighbor as you love yourself. Because he knew it's human nature to love ourselves. Unless... And there are some folks that are clinically depressed or possibly psychologically deranged that, that, that don't love themselves very much, that hurt themselves or even want to maybe, or maybe even suicidal. So I, I, that aside, there's a few of those. But for the most part, if we're like normal, as normal could be, uh, we, we care a lot about ourselves. Well, the Bible is emphasizing the fact here that we need to love others just like that. And if we do, we'd be in pretty good stead with God. Because we love ourselves pretty good most of the time. We take care of number one. I don't miss too many meals, as you can tell. And uh, I like to be comfortable and sit around and watch some football games when I can. I like to play a little golf. So I like, I like myself a lot. But if we, if we like ourselves and love ourselves, we ought to love others as well. And I use this illustration this morning. Let me use it again. My mother-in-law uh, lived with us for the last 10 years of her life where she went to be in heaven, her dad, uh, Diane's dad passed away, and mom came to live with us. Great lady, loved the Lord. They were active members in First Baptist Chickasaw back in the day when Dr. Bob Barker, the coffee with the parson, was there and all that. In fact, he, Dr. Barker married Diane and I years ago, and uh, he taught Sunday school. Dad did for like 48 years. Well, mom just loved the Lord, loved church. She loved to come to Fulton Road, and we were pastor uh, and people there. And she was part of a Sunday school class, and this Sunday school class had some great senior adult ladies in it. And they, each class sort of had their own name. Well, theirs was called the Joy Sunday school class. And I sort of think they got this right. Joy. And then they had an acrostic that they passed out to all their members. that had everybody's important information, contact information. But on the front, it was listed the Joy class. But it was an acrostic, J-O-Y. And then they had it spelled out, Jesus first others next, and you third, J-O-Y, Jesus, others, and you. That's right in line with what the scripture says. In my opinion, God tells us that we need to put him first, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength, and then he said the second is likened to it, love your neighbor, love others as you love yourself. I think when we do those things, we fulfill the great command which happens to be two commandments in one, loving the Lord first and foremost, and then loving others as you love yourself. Now, the question is this morning, who do you love? Do you love God that kind of way? Do you love the Lord? Is he your God? That's something every person's got to ask themselves. 
And you know, a group this size, it's, there's no doubt that there might be one or two or maybe even more that have not yet made that decision about Jesus. Maybe they've been around church since they were little. Maybe they know about Jesus, but just don't know Jesus in their heart. I'm going to tell you, this would be a great day if you finally got it right. If you look to the Lord in your heart of hearts and said, Lord, I've been playing church for a long time. Or Lord, you know, I've been hearing about Jesus for a long time. I know about Jesus, but this morning I really want to know Jesus. Well, there's one way. The Bible says that if you in your heart, if you humble yourself in your heart and say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart, forgive me of my sins and become my Savior, he says he will come in. He will forgive you. He will cleanse you. And he'll become your Savior and your Lord. You say, that's too simple. Well, that's the devil talking. It's not, you know, it is simple. And, and God makes it that way. But the devil wants you to think that's too simple, that you got to do more. No, you just got to do that with your head and with your heart and with your whole being. If you're willing to do that and you want to do that, the Bible says you'll be saved. What does it say in Romans 10, 9, 10? It says, if you confess your sins. No, it says if you confess the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with your heart you believe unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Romans 10, 13, for whosoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Don't some of you want to call on the Lord today? I mean, think about it. It'd be the single greatest decision that you've ever made in life. Nothing would be more important than it before or after. The single most important decision. If you made that decision, the angels in heaven would rejoice this morning. The Bible says that. Your name would be written in the book. Nobody would ever take it out because once you're saved, you're saved and Jesus is never going to leave you nor forsake you. But if you've never done that before, this would be a great and wonderful morning to be saved. The Apostle Paul says today is the day of salvation. And it could be that way for a few people in here this morning. For those of us that know, that we know, that we know that we're saved, let's learn the lesson that Jesus taught this morning, that we might go out and look to not just the busyness of life this week, but for the opportunities that he might put in our path, that we might could become a neighbor to somebody that has a need, somebody that needs salvation first and foremost, and you might be able to share your testimony or a scripture verse or two that would lead them to salvation. Or it might be somebody that just has a need of some sort and you have the resources to help in that need. Jesus says it's more blessed to give than to receive. Don't miss the blessing because you'd be the one that'd be blessed as much or more so than that other person. But let's put into practice the great command and make sure that Jesus is our Lord. And the second thing, make sure that we love others like we love ourselves. Let's bow our heads and hearts together and do some soul searching as we come to this time of decision. A lot of people think when the pastor closes his Bible that the service is over. No, it's really just now beginning because the most important decisions are yet to come. What we've heard now we need to internalize and make public decisions that glorifies Jesus because during this decision time is when Jesus gets honored, exalted, and lifted up. Some decisions will just be made in your heart. That's good. Others might need to be made publicly, or some might need to come to the altar to pray. But remember that during this time of decision, it is a vital part of worship. And we need to make decisions that glorify Jesus in everything that's said and done. Let's pray together. Lord, this morning, we thank you for the privilege that we have to preach your word. 
We thank you for the Holy Spirit who's so active in this room right now, touching hearts and opening ears that we might be able to receive your word, your message for the morning. And Lord, for that one or two or three that might need to come to Jesus, uh, we just pray that they will today. Lord, don't let them put it off because we know that something could happen tomorrow or next week that they might not ever have this opportunity again. We pray that some will come to Jesus this morning and be saved. Still others need to rededicate their lives, maybe even publicly uh, this morning. Others in their hearts and just begin to get to work and live the life that you want them to live. Maybe some need to come and pray. Lord, during this time of invitation, we pray that you might be honored, exalted, glorified, worshiped, and blessed, and that we too might be blessed in the process. For we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Brother Mark's going to lead us in a hymn of invitation.